Welcome to New Community Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to hear today's message. We are encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share or a prayer request for our prayer team, please email us at connect at newcommunity.co. Now please prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Good morning, New Community Church. Hope you guys are doing good. This is the second week of our series called Villains, and we're talking and looking at some of the bad guys in the Bible. We're looking at their story and, and what was it that made them a villain? Like what makes, it, what makes them a bad person? And looking at our lives and seeing, hey, we don't want to be like them. So what attitudes, what actions do we need to avoid um, so that we don't become the villain in our story? So that we don't become that kind of character um, in our life, what God is doing inside of us. And so it's been um, a great series. Last week we talked about the devil and we talked about how he wants to deceive us. In order to destroy us, we talked about how he wants to persuade us away from our purpose. He uses pride to do that. And so today we're going to look at the next villain in our villain series and and look at the actions that he took and how sometimes those creep up in our life and how we can avoid those things, how we can become more and more like Christ. And so um, that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 5. This is where we're going to start in the message today is in Exodus chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you, and I want to encourage you to take that out. In that Bible, you can turn to page um, 31, and you can read along with us as we look at this story today um, that God gives us from His Word. And I want to encourage you, if you don't have a Bible that you own, please take that Bible um, from the seat in front of you with you. You can take it home. It's not stealing, okay? It's our gift to you. We want to give that to you. We believe that there's a power in engaging with God's Word on a daily basis, opening up the Bible and reading Scripture, that it changes our lives. And so I want to encourage you to do that um, every day that you're engaging with God's Word and you're allowing it to change you. And so in Exodus chapter 5, before we start reading this, I just want to let you know what's taking place in the Bible at this point. In Exodus, um, the beginning of the book of Exodus, we know the story is that God's people, the Israelites, are in Egypt. They've come there through some different circumstances, through some situations that we read at the, book, at the end of the book of Genesis. We find out how they got there. And over the course of time, they have become slaves in Egypt. Okay? If you've seen any of the movies that Hollywood has produced, um, some of you that are older, Charlton Heston fans, The Ten Commandments, anyone? Okay, a few of you guys, yes. Okay, and then um, DreamWorks did, like, The Prince of Egypt. So, There's been stories about this, you know, even Hollywood has done stories about this, about the Israelites, God's people, in slavery in Egypt. And so they were put in slavery there, and um, the pharaohs were over them. Pharaohs were the leaders of Egypt. And God speaks to this man named Moses, who um, was raised in an Egyptian home, was raised with the pharaohs, um, was raised up. And God speaks to him over the course of time and says, I'm going to use you to deliver my people to bring them out of bondage. And so I want you to go back to Pharaoh. I want you to give him this message that he is to let my people go, okay? He's to release them from slavery and um, to release them from their bondage and to free them. And so Moses goes back, he travels back to Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 5, verse 4, we're going to pick up on this first conversation that he has um, with Pharaoh. And this is what it says. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses has told them, let my people go. Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your labors. Again, Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now many, and you would make them cease from their labors. And so the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters 
taskmasters over the people in their form and saying, you are no longer to give the people straw to make bricks as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they are making previously shall um, be opposed on them. They are not to reduce by any because they are lazy. Therefore, they cry out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men and let them work as it was before and pay no attention to these false words. So Moses has come and he said, hey, Pharaoh, you're going to let God's people go. This is the word of the Lord. You're to let them go. You're to free them, give them their freedom. This is what God says you are to do. And Pharaoh's response is, no, that's not happening. A matter of fact, we're going to make it harder on them. We're going to make it more difficult and they're going to work harder. It's just because they've gotten lazy. They don't want to do the work. And so we're going to increase their labor and they are going to continue to work and to do what it is that we've enslaved them to do. And as you start to look at this story, you start to look at the heart of Pharaoh throughout this story, you begin to see something. Pharaoh has this desire to control what God has given him. Because Pharaoh really doesn't even belong there. As you read through through the story of Genesis at the end of Genesis and even at the beginning of Exodus, Egypt shouldn't at this point have been this mighty nation. It was only that because of the hand of God. If you're familiar with the story of Joseph, you know that Joseph is brought into the land of Egypt. And through this course of action, this previous Pharaoh has this dream. He dreams um, this kind of disturbing dream, and he doesn't know what it means. And so Joseph comes, and Joseph interprets it. And this is the interpretation that Joseph gives. You know what? God is giving you wisdom and instruction to save Egypt. There's going to be seven years of plenty, okay? Seven years of abundance as much food as you guys can imagine more than you could handle you're gonna have to build bigger barns and all of these things God is going to bless Egypt but then something's going to happen after that there's going to be seven years of plenty or or, I mean sorry seven years of famine so there was the seven years of plenty now seven years of famine that is going to come on the land of Egypt and you're not going to have a lot Matter of fact, the crops are going to dry up. And so you need someone with wisdom. You need someone that's going to help you to manage all of this so that you don't die during the seven years of famine. That was God's hand of provision and wisdom over the land of Egypt. And because God did that, Egypt was able to handle that. And Egypt actually became a nation of blessing for other people. For the Israelites, they came and they bought grain and all of these other nations surrounding them. Whenever the famine hit, Egypt had more than enough, not only to take care of themselves, but to be a blessing to other people. And now all of these years later, Pharaoh gets concerned. He's concerned that the blessing is going to run out. That if he does what God says, if he actually lets the people go, if he lets the Israelites go, that he's no longer going to be taken care of. He has these questions, man, if they get lazy and they don't work, who's going to build these cities, right? We wouldn't have the pyramids nowadays as the seven wonders of the world. Who's going to do all of these things if the Israelites don't do it? If I listen to God, what's going to happen to my house? What's going to happen to my kingdom? What's going to happen to everything that it is that I've built up? And so Pharaoh begins to worry. He begins to take on this mindset that he has to control God's blessings instead of hearing God's voice. He actually believes this, that he has to control God's blessings instead of hearing God's voice. And when he does that, when he takes on that mindset, all of a sudden he becomes the villain in the story, doesn't he? He becomes the villain. He becomes the oppressor. He becomes the the one that is trying to hold God's people down because he simply wants to hold on to what it is that God has placed in his care. 
we do this sometimes, church, is as God has blessed us, as God has put different things in our care and underneath um, our provision, sometimes we try to control those things. We want to hold on to them. We want to control them more than we want to listen to, to what it is that God is saying. And this is what Pharaoh does in this story. This is what Pharaoh does in this situation. He's trying to control what God is telling him to do. I mentioned last week, um, because we have so many kids, we love Pixar films. And we've watched, recently we rewatched this movie called Finding Nemo. Have all of you guys seen it? Okay, great story about a father and how he loves his son. And through some difficult circumstances, he loses his son. His the, um, son as a fish gets taken away um, in this boat by these divers. And he's going through. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, who's the villain in that story? Like when you first see the shark, right, with its big eyes and its big smile, you, of course, think, oh, the shark is the villain. But the shark has taken a pledge not to eat fish, okay? So he's not the villain in the story. And as I watched that, and I was watching it with my kids, and I was thinking about this series, I thought, man, the villain isn't some external character. It's really an internal struggle that this father has. See, for him, the villain is fear and control in his life. And there's this kind of epiphany moment in there where they're inside the belly, or they're inside the mouth of this whale, and the whale is swimming um, to them, them to Sydney, wherever they need to go. And there's this other fish named Dory, and she's telling him, just let go, just let go. And he said, I can't, I don't know what will happen. How do you know that it's going to be okay? And she says, I don't. And in that moment, he kind of realizes he has to let go. He has to give up control. Everything that he was trying to control, it doesn't always turn out the way that he thought it was going to, but he's got to trust. And it's like that in our lives. That's the stumbling block that Pharaoh fell into. It's that he could not give up trust to God. He couldn't surrender control to God. He thought, I don't know what's going to happen to my kingdom. I don't know what's going to happen to my palace. How do I know that I'm still going to be in control? How do I know I'm still going to be in a ruler? Who am I going to rule over if I obey the voice of God and if I let the Israelites go? What am I going to do? And so he can't relinquish control in his life. He holds on to that, thinking that he can somehow come out on top but really, it makes him the villain. In church, it does the same thing in your life and in my life when we try to maintain control and we don't trust God. We become the villain in our story. We end up hurting people either intentionally or unintentionally. We hurt others when we try to control everything that God has given us. We become the villain in our story. How do we do this in our life? It happens in so many different areas. I mean, we start off young in life, and then we start to work really hard. God blesses us. We get a promotion at our job. We get a financial blessing. And when God comes to us, when we're challenged, hey, you need to tithe. You need to give in the offering. You need to be a generous person. What's our response? God, I can't let that go. How do I know that I'm going to be okay? God, how can I actually trust you, Lord? How do I know that I'm not going to hit a hard point in my life and that I'm not going to need that little extra bit of money, God? If I go and I help someone else, if I buy groceries for someone, God, if I help someone out with their electric bill, Lord, if I do what you're telling me to do, how do I know that it's going to be okay? And so like Pharaoh, we try to control God's blessings in our life. For some of you, you're in places of leadership. God has given you leadership and influence, whether it's a shift manager, whether you're a manager, whether you're a teacher or some kind of leader in your job. And what do we do? 
we use those positions to elevate ourselves. We try to control, man, if I don't try to get ahead, if I don't, if I don't work my way to the top, if I don't do whatever it is that I can do to get out on top, I don't know if it's going to be okay. God, we use those areas of influence once again to kind of promote ourselves when God has given those to minister to others. What if you saw your place of influence as a position to disciple others? To lead others, to be an example of what Christ has called you to be. Not to control, but to serve. Just as Jesus gives that example and he calls us to serve others. See, we do that in so many areas of our life with our kids. The Bible says that they're a blessing in our life. But if we're not careful as parents, we just want to control their behavior. We think that's what we have to do. If we can control their behavior enough that everything will be okay. That it'll somehow turn out right instead of as parents instructing them to hear the voice of God. Not to just live a certain way with behavioral kind of restrictions on their life, but to listen to what it is that God is saying and to follow his voice. So church, what is it in your life? I have to look at my life. What is it in my life where I'm becoming the villain because I'm trying to control what God has given me and I'm afraid to let go of it because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to take place if I actually surrender trust to God in this area of my life. I don't know if it's going to work out. When we refuse to give control to God, we become the villain in our life. And what happens in Pharaoh's life, what takes place as he refuses to let go of control, as he refuses to listen to the voice of God, what takes place in his life? Well, if you read Exodus chapter 7 through chapter 10, you find out. Now, we're not going to read all of this right now. I want to encourage you this week, as you're reading the Bible, you can go back and read the story of Pharaoh and the story of Moses as God is trying to get Pharaoh's attention. But if you're familiar with the story, you know that there are ten plagues that come down upon Egypt. Tremendous things that God does. He instructs Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell him these things that are going to take place. And so amazing things happen. Things that you would think would get Pharaoh's attention. The Nile being turned to blood. Frogs coming up on the land. Gnats, boils, all of these things. Plagues that God brings down on the, on the land of Egypt to get Pharaoh's attention. And at the end of every single plague, as I was reading through this story, reading about the life of Pharaoh and reading about Moses, there's this verse that stood out to me every single time. This is how the plague ends. Pharaoh cries out, brings Moses in front of him. Okay, tell God to relent. Tell God to stop. I'm going to listen. I'm going to open up my ears. I'm going to listen. Tell God to stop the plague. And so God does. And then the, verse, the chapter ends with this. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Not once, church, not twice, ten times, nine times, his heart is hardened, and he does not let the people go. Time and time again, now, you would think after seeing all of these plagues, after God doing all of these things, there's no way that nine times this could just be a coincidence. That, that frogs could come up out of the Nile, that gnats could come and swarm, that boils would appear. I mean, maybe once or twice something weird could happen, but nine times all of these plagues happen. And Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he doesn't let the people go. See, God is trying to get Pharaoh's attention. 
He's trying to get him to listen to his voice. He's doing whatever it takes so that Pharaoh would open up and be pliable in God's hand. But Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He doesn't want to listen to the instruction that God is giving him. Now, when I thought about this, I thought back to kindergarten. Okay, this is a little bit of a trip for some of you guys. But one of my favorite things in kindergarten was this right here. You guys remember this? Play-Doh, okay? Now, Play-Doh is an amazing invention, right? And I loved Play-Doh time because I would always, in my mind, picture that I was going to create the most amazing sculpture, right? An elephant, and usually it just ended up as a snake, okay? Because it was the easiest thing to make. You could take it and you could roll it into your hands. I mean, it didn't take much effort. And you could shape it into whatever you wanted it to be, right? And so I would look, the teacher would be handing out the Play-Doh. I'd be so excited, ready to open mine. But this is usually what happened. Okay, some of you guys, is this right here, right? I'd go to shape my Play-Doh, and it's dried out, yep. In Play-Doh, whenever it's dried out, whenever the lid is left off, okay, it becomes hard, and it's no longer pliable, right? Like you try to mush it together, okay? I'd spit in it a little bit when no one was looking, Right? I know that's disgusting, but anything. But really, once it gets to a certain point, it just starts to crumble. And it's no longer pliable. You can't shape it. You can't do anything with it. And as a little, little kindergarten kid, I was so frustrated. I would get so mad, and I'd look around the room. Who left the Play-Doh lid off? Right? I wanted to know because they had ruined my little experience as a kindergarten kid. Because the Play-Doh gets hard, and you can no longer shape it. And that's what's happened to Pharaoh's heart is he spent so much time in control trying to be the God of his life that he's no longer moldable. He's no longer pliable. His heart can no longer be shaped by God. But it's become hard and it's become rigid. He has in turn become, tried to become the God of his own life and he's left God out of the picture and now he can't listen to the voice of God anymore. He can no longer be shaped for God's purpose. And so time and time again, no matter what happens, his heart has become too hard. It's hardened to the things of God. Now, you may be sitting there with the same thought that I have, like, but if I was there, man, if I just saw, like, all of those things, of course I would respond, right? Like, if I saw all of those miracles, if I saw all of the signs and wonders, of course my heart would be open, my heart would be pliable. But church, it's not really just seeing more that will cause you to believe it's a condition of the heart. It's something deep inside of you. And you become the villain in the story when your heart becomes hardened. When you've not been around God enough and your heart becomes no longer being able to be shaped by God. You can no longer listen to the voice of God. And seeing more things, seeing more things in church, seeing more miracles isn't the answer. It's a condition of the heart. It's your heart becoming soft again in the hands of God. That's what will open you up to the voice of God. That's what will cause you to respond, okay, God, whatever it is that you're asking me to do, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to follow your voice. I'm willing to follow your lead. But the truth of the situation is we face so many circumstances in our life that the natural tendency is that our heart would become hard. I mean, you don't really have to do anything. You just lead the... Leave the lid off, right? And the Play-Doh will harden. It's what naturally happens. And that's what naturally occurs in our life. See, the busyness of your life, the stress of your life, 
the suffering and even the difficulties of your life, sometimes even enjoyment in our life, the natural things that life brings our way will harden our heart towards the things of God. And although God probably will never come to you and say, hey, I want you to release hundreds of thousands of slaves that have been enslaved for 400 years, he is going to ask you to do other things. And the question is, how will you respond when you're out to eat and you're getting ready to pray over your meal? And he says, I want you to pray for your waitress or your waiter. How will you respond? See, it's easy for our hearts to become hard and think, God, I can't do that. That's difficult. It's weird. It's God, that's just going to be so awkward, Lord. I can't step out and do that. I'm not like Pharaoh, right? It's just the small things, but it's the small things that begin to eat away at us and cause our heart to become hard. And when I'm more excited about the latest episode that I watch on TV than I am about opening up God's word, my heart is becoming hard. When it's easier to plan on Sunday to to go to the lake and to do those things than to come and worship with my church family, my heart is becoming hard. When it's easier to think selfishly about my own wants, my own desires, than to show compassion to a coworker or to a neighbor or to a loved one, my heart is becoming hard. Church, it's not maybe all of these things that I could be doing. Sometimes it's the things that I'm not doing. Spending time in the presence of God to make sure that my heart stays soft. See, it's the small things that begin to eat away at us. And like Pharaoh, we become the villain in our story. Other people around us miss out on generosity. They miss out on compassion. They miss out on seeing God's love through our life because we're allowing our hearts to harden. And we're becoming the villain in our story if we're not careful. And as you continue to read this story, you continue to see what it is that God shows his people. And that is, even in the midst of this difficult circumstance, as I mentioned last week, there's a hero that we see. See, the last plague that comes to the, to the nation of Israel, to that land, is the death of the firstborn. And God gives clear and specific instructions, and this is what he says. He says to his people, hey, you're to take a lamb that's spotless, that's perfect, You're to sacrifice that lamb and you're to take it and to mark your doorposts with its blood. And on this specific night, the death angel is going to come through Egypt and he's going to take the life of the firstborn. But when he comes to a house and when he sees the blood on the doorpost, he's going to pass over that house. This became a yearly tradition with the Israelites, they would perform this ceremony and it was a reminder of that freedom, that night that God brought them out of slavery in Egypt, that night that God performed a miracle that the death angel did not touch their life. It was when God worked inside of his people's life and covered them. And that's where this word Passover comes from, the original word. Now, when you think of Passover, you may think, well, the death angel just skipped over them, right? Like he said, not that house, I'm going to skip that one, I'm going to go to this one. But that's not what the original word meant. The original word was this idea of covering. It was almost as if God's spirit was standing over the door, covering the door so that nothing could get into it. That's what this original word of Passover meant. And it's this picture of Jesus. It's this picture of God sending his son 
thousands of years later that would come into the world that as the perfect sacrifice would give his life for you and for me and for all of the sins of the world. And what he would do is he would be a covering for our life. See, kind of like that illustration of the Play-Doh, it's God covering over us so the natural things in our life, the natural tendencies, everything that causes our heart to be hard will stay out. And that his presence and his covering over our life will make us soft. It'll make us pliable. It'll keep us in the state where we can be shaped by his hand and his purpose and according to his will. So that we don't become the villains in the story. So that our heart being hard doesn't hurt other people around us. That we're able to listen to the voice of God. And we're able to listen to the instruction that he brings inside of our life. So church, I have to ask you this morning, what's the condition of your heart? What's the condition of your heart? If you were to be honest with yourself, does it look more like Pharaoh sometimes? Is it easier to say no to the voice of God? Is it easier to try to control what he's giving you, the blessings in your life, and keep them for yourself than to allow them to flow through your life? Is it easier to say no to the things of God because your heart has become hard than to listen, to follow his lead, to trust him? We have to examine our heart because if we've allowed it to become hard, we can become the villain in our story. And I want to pray for you this morning. I'm going to ask if you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning. And I want to, I want to ask this this morning. For some of you, you need... What I just mentioned at the end of this message, you need Christ to cover over your life. So many things have come out at you, stress and busyness and even the sin of your life. And you need that covering over your life of Christ, his blood and his forgiveness for your sins and for your mistakes. And if that's you, if you're in this room and you've never made that commitment, you've never taken that step and asked God, to forgive you of your sins, to ask God to come into your life and give you a brand new heart, to give you a fresh start. This morning, I want to invite you to do that. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat, to stand up right where you're at, and to come forward to the altar. The picture in Scripture is very clear. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. Maybe you're here and you've had a relationship with God in the past, but recently you've walked away from that. You've taken control of your life. Again, away from God. You're trying to do it on your own. And this morning, you need a fresh start. You need that picture that God gave His people of His blood covering over your life so that the death angel passes over you, so that sin is no longer taking control of your life. And if that's you with no one looking around, you're in, this you're in this room this morning and God's speaking to you. Right now, would you stand up and would you come forward to this altar? I want to pray for you. Anyone in this room? God's speaking to your heart. 
I'll wait just another moment. If there's someone here, I don't want you to miss this opportunity of receiving God's forgiveness and getting a brand new start. Well then, church, I want all of us to respond in another way. And as I mentioned, there can be things in our life that harden our hearts. And our hearts stay soft. They stay open to the things of God as we're in His presence. And so we're going to respond this morning in just this simple way. I'm going to ask if you would right now, where you're at, just go ahead and stand up. For everyone in the room right now, if you're able to, if you would stand up. And we want to end just in worshiping God. This week may have been busy for you. It may have been stressful. I don't know what your week held. But this is an opportunity just at the end of this service just to once again open up your heart to God. So we're about to sing this song that we sang earlier during the worship part of our service. And as we sing this, I want to encourage you just to lift up your hands to just open up your heart to say, God, I want you to come once again in my life, Lord. Make my heart soft, Lord. Make my heart moldable and shapeable by you, Lord. Whatever it takes, God, let me get in your presence, Lord, so that, God, I will say yes to whatever you ask. So, let, church, let's begin to do that. Just lift up your hands as we begin to sing, and let's sing out to God, Lord, that we love you.